Hey, welcome everybody. My name is Steve Husky, lead pastor here at Faith Church. And man, we just want to say we're so excited that you decided to join us this weekend for one of our worship experiences. Obviously, many of you are a Faith Church family, and we want to say it every week how much we absolutely miss you. Being able to hang out in person, being able to hug your necks and high five, being able to serve together, the literally, literally thousands of people who show up on our campuses. So again, Faith Church family, we love you and we miss you. But again, we know you're not the only ones watching. We want to welcome all of our VIPs. Again, our VIPs are those who are showing up for the first time. Maybe you've never been a part of a faith church experience. Maybe you've not ever been a part of any church experience. And so whoever you are, wherever you're tuning in from, we want you to know that we're glad that you're here. We said every week that we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. What we mean by that is no matter what we're going through in life, no matter what our struggle, our issue, our habit, our addiction, our hurt, no matter what it is, we believe that Jesus is the answer for everything. And so today, if you're a faith church family and you've been in church a whole lot in your life, or maybe again, this is your first time, we would just encourage you to open up your heart, man, and allow God into your situation and into your life. It'll be the greatest thing that you've ever done. Well, listen, I wonder how many of you ever heard of the Mandela effect, the Mandela effect. The Mandela effect is this idea. It's this kind of cultural thing. It goes bigger than that, but it's this idea where a group of people have a false memory, that you remember something that didn't happen, and you're not the only one, but literally groups of people remember something that never happened. It's, it's crazy. Let me give you a couple examples of the Mandela Effect. So the Mandela Effect, probably one of the best ways to look at it is in movie lines. Anybody like movies? So here's one. It's a little bit old. It's black and white, but has probably one of the most well-known movie lines in cinematic history. It's the movie Casablanca, right? And we, we probably have at least heard the lines. Some of you who've seen the movie, right? We've heard this. Play it again, Sam. Have you ever heard that? Did you know that that line never, ever happens in the movie? Ingrid Bergman actually looks at Sam, the piano player, and says, play it once, Sam. That never happened in the movie. Here's another one, Field of Dreams. Man, it's a great feel-good story, right? Kevin Costner, he, he plows down his cornfields to build a baseball diamond because throughout the movie, he keeps hearing this whisper, build it and they will come. Did you know it never says build it and they will come? It actually says Build it, and he will come. What? I mean, it's just crazy again, but if you ask culture, everyone would say the line is build it, and they will come. Here's another one, right? Forrest Gump. Man, you, everybody's got to love some Forrest. And you know, as the movie progresses, we keep finding Forrest sitting on the bus bench next to these different people as he tells his story, and he has this box of candy on his lap, and he continues to tell everybody, come on, mama always said life no, life was like a box of chocolates. Never says life is. I know that's small, but it's crazy. Everybody remembers it as, come on, don't tune out. Don't go to YouTube on me. Some of you are like, I don't know. It gets bigger. Watch, here's, this isn't really a big movie, but I loved it when it came out. Does anybody remember when the man from Down Under showed up in the United States, Crocodile Dundee? And he's, he goes to New York City, and he's walking through downtown, and him and the reporter that he's with, they get mugged by these two guys, and these guys pull out a switchblade. Probably so many of us have seen this movie. And right, Crocodile Dundee pulls out this huge knife, and he says to them, that's not a knife. He doesn't say, this is, he doesn't say that's not a knife. 
this is a knife. He doesn't say that. He says, that's not a knife. That's a knife. I mean, it's crazy. I know. Here's, let me give you, let me give you a couple more. Jaws, you know, when Chief Brody's on the back of the boat and he's chumming the water to try to get the shark to come and Chief Brody gets for the first time, right? You see it on your screen, jaws popping up out of the water and he is shocked by this behemoth of a great white shark. And so he goes to the boat captain and he says, we're gonna need a bigger boat. No, I know, boom. He doesn't say we're gonna need a bigger boat. He says, you're gonna need a bigger boat. Silence of the lamb. Here's one, right? Probably a lot of us have seen the movie when Agent Starling goes down to see this serial killer, Hannibal Lecter. And we've all seen the movie. Hannibal Lecter greets, uh, greets uh, this agent by saying this, Hello, Crawleys. No, he never says that. It's nowhere in the movie. He says, good morning. Nowhere in the movie. Empire Strikes Back. Oh my gosh. Last two. Empire Strikes Back. Darth Vader is dueling it out. It's the lightsaber battle of all time, right? Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker, they're battling out. Darth Vader wipes off, lops off the hand of Luke Skywalker. There he is hanging on this thing and he hears for the first time Darth Vader say these words, Luke, I am your father. No, he doesn't say that. He says, no, I'm your father. He never says, Luke, here's the craziest one for me because this was a childhood memory, right, of the little alien who shows up on planet Earth and the little kid finds him, E.T., the extraterrestrial. And remember, E.T., all E.T. wants to do is go home. And so like the iconic line out of the movie that everybody knows is E.T. holding up his little finger with the light on. And, and, it's, and he says this, E.T., phone home. Never says it. Go check it out. He says, E.T., home phone. Isn't that crazy? A lot of you, I know the fact that you're at, the fact that you're at home saying, no way, is the Mandela effect. Things that we believe as a culture, things that we believe as people, we share group memories that aren't true. Now, here's the challenge that I want to give you as we step into this message is, I wonder what else we're believing that's wrong. See, it's okay it's okay to get it wrong with movie lines. It's not okay to get it wrong about our life. Movie lines might cause you to maybe miss a, a, a game night with the family, but getting it wrong about your life will cause you to miss the reason God birthed you and put you on planet Earth. And so we, through this whole series that we started last week entitled Rebranded, we're tackling this idea that all of us have been given names and titles and tags and brands things that people have put on us or sometimes things we have put on ourselves. Again, these, these names and these titles that we carry that put, her up, put us underneath of this weight. And the challenge for all of us as we go through this is to understand that throughout this series, here's what we're telling you is when you come into a relationship with your Redeemer, you get rebranded which mean God's take, God takes the old tags, God takes the old titles that you feel weight from, that you feel humiliation from, that you feel less than from, and God comes and gives you a brand new name, brand new titles, brand new tags. Come on, we get rebranded by our Redeemer. And so I just wonder as we step into week two of rebranded, how many of you watching this feel like you're not enough? Like maybe that's how you see yourself and how you view yourself, how you feel about yourself. And so today we're gonna look at this story of this guy by the name of Gideon. Gideon was branded as weak. 
That's how he was known. He, was, he felt like and he described himself like some of you might, as not enough. And so we're gonna dig into a story. His story is found in Judges. Let me just give you a little bit of background about the book of Judges. The book of Judges in the timeline of the Old Testament. Again, the, the Old Testament is about the history of the Jewish people. God sends Moses into Egypt to rescue God's people out of bondage, out of slavery. Moses dies, but God replaces the leadership of Moses with the leadership of Joshua. And eventually Joshua dies and there's nobody to hand the leadership baton to. And so ultimately God's people, the nation of Israel, they start living wheels off. They start going against God, against God's law. They start adopting the culture that they're living with. They start worshiping false idols and false gods. And the entire book of Judges goes through this same cycle over and over and over. And the cycle is this, that they go from this place where they have faith, where they fall from their, where they forget their faith, where they fall into sin, but ultimately God forgives them. It's this cycle, right? Here's the cycle where they sin. Ultimately, they go into a season of suffering. A lot of times we see in the book of Judges, God allows surrounding nations to come and oppress God's people because of the rebellion. So it goes from sin to this, to this place of suppression and oppression to where they go into supplication. They cry out and they ask for God to forgive them. And then God sends salvation. And the salvation continues to come from these people called the Judges, and that's why it's called the Book of Judges. The reason it's a great book is because I think it's a picture sometimes of our life. We get caught in that cycle where we experience God's grace and we fall back into old habits. And man, the good news is anytime you call out on Jesus, he'll always answer you. He'll always bring restoration. But sometimes, unfortunately, there are still consequences to our decisions. Watch this. Judges 2.16 really culminates or sums up the entire book Judges 2.16 says this, then the Lord, everybody say these two words at home, raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. What's crazy is Gideon, this person we're gonna talk about today, he is one of the judges that God raises up. However, when God interacts or encounters Gideon for the first time, Gideon is shocked by this news that he's gonna do anything incredible. And I just wanna tell some of you that God's about to raise some of you up in this message. And you might be shocked by it. You might say you got the wrong person because, come on, again, the word says that the judges were raised up, which means they weren't already in the position of being raised up. God had to raise them up. I know some of you are knocked down. I know some of you have sat down on life. I know some of you are ready to tap out on life. But what I wanna tell you in this message today is that God is big enough to meet you where you are, what you've gone through, to raise you up into something really great. And so God takes this man by the name of Gideon. This is at the point where this group of people called the Midianites have been oppressing God's people because they've been, uh, they've been worshiping false idols. God allows his people, again, to fall underneath the oppression of the Midianites, but they cry out for deliverance. And so God raises up Gideon to be the guy to go and to rescue them or to deliver them. And check this out. Here's where the story starts. Judges chapter six, verse 11 and 12. It says, then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Ebiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So let me just give you these names real quick. So these three names, Abiezar, Joash, and Gideon. That's a grandfather of father 
and a son. So that's three generations. Gideon is the grandson. And it says this, Gideon is in this place where basically, come on, I don't know if anybody else says, have you ever got like a treat and you didn't want your family to know you had the treat, so you snuck the treat? This is what Gideon's doing. He's got some food because there's scarcity in the land, and so he's hiding in a wine press. He's hiding from his oppressors, the Midians, and he's hiding so nobody else gets their hands on his good. And it says this, verse 12, in the middle of him hiding in the wine press, verse 12 says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, read this with me, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, I want you just to humor me at home. I want to challenge you to look at somebody sitting next to you, and I just want you just to say to them what God said to Gideon. I want you to look at somebody next to you and say, I'm a mighty hero. Come on, and God is with me. Come on, say that. I'm a mighty hero, and God is with me. Come on, if you're sitting home alone and ain't nobody in your room, it's just you and your computer screen. Come on, it's just you and Captain Crunch. I want you to say it with some confidence. Come on, uh, come on. I- I'm a mighty hero and God is with me. Now, here's what's crazy. Can you feel what I feel when I say that? Can you feel the, the brand pushing back? Can you feel the name saying that's not true? Isn't it crazy how we can say I'm nobody with confidence? but we can't say I'm somebody with confidence. Isn't it crazy how, like, to say the words, I'm a mighty hero and God's with me. Immediately, we, we struggle to say that. If those words come out of our mouth, it's like we don't really believe it. Do you know why? Because we've been tagged and branded, and that brand is pushing back. And when you read through this, this is exactly what Gideon experiences he experiences this same pushback when the angel of the Lord, God's presence, shows up to Gideon hiding in a wine press and says, hey, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior, and God's presence is with you. And I want you to notice how Gideon responds to this. He says, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord's abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you. Did you hear the battle of the brands? Not the battle of the bands, the battle of the brands. Notice the contrast. Here's the angel of the Lord. And he says again, he says, you're a mighty hero and the Lord is with you. Gideon chimes back. And the first thing he says is, is the Lord really with us? I mean, it doesn't look like he's with me. So the angel of the Lord says, no, God's with you. He says, no, God's not with me. The angel of the Lord says, you're a mighty hero. What does he say? The battle of the brands. He spits back and says, no, I'm I'm nobody and I'm from nowhere. Like my my whole family tree is a bunch of losers. We're a bunch of nobodies. We're a bunch of mess-ups. We're a bunch of screw-ups. And worse than that, I'm the least nobody in the family. And so you gotta ask, watch, here's the question. Which brand was true? Which tag was true? Was he a mighty hero or was he weak? Was God with him or was he abandoned? 
See, it was the battle of the brands that all of us go through. Here's what I want to tackle for a minute is when he came to this conclusion that he was alone and he was a weakling, who told him that? Who told him that? Like somebody told him that. He got that brand somewhere. He either gave it to himself or someone had told him that, that you're nobody and God's not with you. You're a weakling and you're alone. Who told him that? Well, I want us to look real quick in Genesis is a great story that's gonna help us to understand what Gideon was experiencing, and I think probably what many of us who are watching this message experience as well. In Genesis chapter two, again, we, we know the story. Genesis is the book of beginnings, and it's the beginning of God's creation, primarily the beginning of the pinnacle of God's creation, you and I, mankind, humanity. And again, in the middle of paradise, God puts Adam and Eve, and everything is perfect. And Genesis chapter two ends looking at this perfect paradise where Adam and Eve are in a perfect relationship with God, their creator, and it ends this way, Genesis 2.25. Listen to this. Now, the man and his wife were both naked. Come on, that's a good marriage right there. Not what I wanna talk about. Come on, we're not on relationships. We're on rebranded, but watch. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So because of their innocence, because there was no sin, because they were in perfect harmony with their creator, because there was nothing separating them from their creator, they were perfectly innocent. So being naked, was, there was nothing wrong with it. But even though they're naked in Genesis 2.25, you get to Genesis 3, and this is where the slithery serpent steps in and causes them to be tempted, and they sin, they disobey their creator. Sin enters into creation, and every time sin comes, shame comes. Just a side note, if you're feeling shame, it might be because you're in sin. And so it says this, Genesis 3, 10, or 11, Adam and Eve are so in so much shame that they hide from God. And check this out, Genesis 3, 10, and 11. This is big. God is looking for him, and he asks him this question. Hey, Adam, where are you at? Verse 10, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden. This is Adam talking to God. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And listen to God's question. Who told you you were naked? Where, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who told you that? Where did that come from? Now, there is so much here, but what I want to tell you what's really important is that when Genesis 2.25, when it ends, when everything is right and everything is perfect, and the Bible describes them as, as being naked, that in Genesis 2.25 is an adjective. An adjective is a descriptive word. But when, when Adam confesses after sin and in the, in the feeling of his shame when he's hiding from God, what Adam confesses isn't the adjective naked, it's the noun naked. This is so big. And here's why, because ultimately Gideon was a hero, he was in hiding. See, the hero was his noun, that's who he was. Hiding was his adjective, it's what he was doing. The problem was he held on and he identified more with the adjective than the noun. Wow. See, the re reason I'm telling you this is what God was saying is you used to be described as naked. Now you think that's all you are. I, I just want you to know something, man, is that we go through life. There are so many times that as we struggle with challenges and we see what's going on, that if we're not careful, we'll allow ourselves to be defined by an event. We'll allow ourselves to be defined by a number. Like the adjective starts to become who we are. Some of us have been divorced or we're single and we wanna be married. 
Some of us are defined by the number on the scale. Some of us are defined by the letters on a report card. Some of us are defined by the net worth of our bank account. Here's, I'm gonna just ask you a question, come on. Is your weight, is that your adjective or is that your noun? Your marital status, is that your description? Or, come on, is that who you are? See, what I found out is that when people give us tags and people try to brand us and give us identities, when they try to tag us with something, the challenge is, is that we take that on as who we are. If you're taking notes, culture can describe you, but only Christ can define you, which means culture can tell you what they see, but only God can tell you who you are. And while they were for sure naked, it wasn't, it wasn't their identity. Their identity were, was that they were made in the image of God. That was their identity. But they got caught up in an adjective. They got caught up in a definition. And I want you to know you're bigger than an event. Come on again. I'm just going to tell you, some of you who are watching this, you're struggling with an addiction. I don't mean you did struggle. Some of you are actively and currently struggling in addiction. And that's, that's how you define yourself. That's who you are. And so the thought of someone telling you you're mighty, you'd, like, you'd say, no, I'm, I'm the last. If I was mighty, I wouldn't keep doing what I'm doing. No, no, no. I'm, I'm telling you that your addiction is an adjective, but your noun is who you are. See, our struggles and our habits and our battles, our depression, our anxiety, those are all adjectives. Again, I just want you to hear this. Gideon was a hero. He was in hiding. He rather chose to identify with the adjective than the noun. And my hope today as you watch this, and I've been praying for, is that God would cause this thing in you to flip-flop and you would stop identifying yourself with your event, with your number, with your adjective, and you would start being defined by who God says you are, that you'd be the noun that he said you can be. Come on. So here's the question, man. Again, I'm asking it for Gideon. Here's a question if you're taking notes at home that you need to ask yourself is, is who told you that you're not enough? When you have your own battle of the brands, where you feel immediately, come on, some of you are watching this, and right now, you feel shame. You don't have a job to go to this week because you got laid off, and you feel the weight of shame. Again, some of you are going through seasons. Come on, everybody's eating a little bit more at home. This is happening. And so you go to put the jeans on, and they don't come up as easy, and they don't button as easy. And so all of a sudden, you start getting defined by the adjective. Come on, it's all of us, all of us bear the weight of a brand. I'm telling you, come on, there are things about you that people see, but that's not who you are. But who told you that? The shame you feel, the struggle you feel, the fact that you feel weak, the fact that you feel not enough. I'm just gonna ask you the question, who told you you're not enough? Because the chances are when you read through their stories, right, and you see what happened with Adam and you see what happened with Gideon, they were both hiding because they bought the adjective rather than the noun. Maybe, maybe it was an absentee dad who gave you the name. Maybe it was a drunk mom. You know what's crazy? I, I talk to people and I've had this experience, probably you've had this experience some of the most brutal people on the planet are junior hires. Come on, I mean, they can be so cruel. Like, they can say things to their fellow students that can devastate a kid for years. That's kind of funny, but honestly, for some of you, 
who you've carried titles, tags, and brands since you were in junior high or high school. Come on, let's just be real honest. Are you, are you telling me you're allowing an eighth grader who had bigger self-esteem issues than you to define who you are? No, listen, I'm not defined by a kid in wood class. I'm defined by the creator of the universe. I'm not an adjective. I'm a noun. Come on, somebody. Who told you you're not enough? Now, listen, maybe for you, you don't have a dramatic event. Maybe like nobody called you names. Maybe you didn't have an absentee mom or dad. Maybe... You've had a pretty smooth life, but here's what I still know about every person watching. We still carry the weight of tags and brands. Somebody told us that, and if it didn't come from somebody outside, oftentimes it came from ourselves. And I'm just gonna tell you, I think a lot of times where it comes from is the culture we live in. When I say the culture we live in, I mean the culture we live in will always tell you you're not enough. I mean, think about it. If, you, if you're watching TV, if you're watching if you ever walk through a checkout line, come on, every, everywhere around us, you know what culture tells us? Culture tells us you're not enough. You need, to be, you need to be fitter, you need to be thinner, you need to be smarter, come on, you need to be richer, come on. It just tells you, that's, if you get our product, maybe you'll be there. If you'll buy our perfume, drive our car, wear our jeans, wear our jewelry, maybe you'll be enough because the, the, the brand of culture and what everything they're trying to tag you with is that you're not enough you need to get the ur. What I want to tell you today is stop chasing the ur. Listen, stop chasing. Well, if I can just lose a few more pounds, if I can just get a few more dollars, if I can just get the degree, if I can just land the guy, if I can just get the job, then I'm going to be enough because I'll be fitter, because I'll be richer, I'll be smarter. Did you know the ur? Come on, I say stop chasing the ur. I mean stop chasing those things because the ur is elusive and costly. If you ever think you can even catch the ur, which means if you ever think, well, I can get there, I can be enough on my own, it's elusive. Because no matter how much weight you lose, you're gonna feel like you need to lose more. No matter how much money you have, you're gonna feel like I need more. No matter, come on, no matter how smart you are, I need another degree, I need another raise, I need another promotion. I need another like on Facebook. I need another Instagram follower. I just, I need more. I need, because the earth, it's elusive. You can't, you can't catch it. And if you try to catch it, I'm just gonna tell you, it's costly. Because wow. you, got, you got people who feel like if I sext enough people and I get enough likes, if I get enough attention from that person, if I do enough things to get the, close the deal, then, then that's it. And come on, what you spend costing, what you spend chasing the earth will cost you far more than what it's worth to get it. Stop chasing the earth. Come on, I want you to know something. Just who you are, you're enough. Think about, again, the errs we chase, all these ones I've mentioned. Talk about weight. Everybody watching this at home, you have a different weight, you have a different BMI, you have a different fat percentage, Come on, some of you are high and some of you are low. Every one of us watching this, we have a different, uh, a different value when it comes to our bank account or our net worth. Some of you have a lot, some of you have little. Some of you have dark skin, some of you have light skin. What I'm telling you is some of you were raised with one parent, two parents, some of you were raised with no parents. That's not what defines us. See, because no matter what your background is, no matter your weight, your degrees, how much money you have, we are all 
all made in the image of God. Again, I want you to see, see we're buying into the adjective instead of the noun. And when you roll through this, you find out that's exactly what was happening with Gideon. Gideon bought the wrong thing. If you're taking notes, I want you to hear this. Our perception determines our position. Our perception, what we see, determines where we put ourselves in life. Again, ultimately, because Gideon saw himself as weak, he was in hiding. That's what he saw. That's what he bought into. And some of you, come on, who are watching this, come on, adjectives will always make you go into hiding. Adjectives will always make you diminish yourself. It'll always make you feel like, I can't do that. You know, it's, it's, there's kind of a joke. A lot of you guys have, have heard this idea where people will say, you know, man, if I go to church, the roof will cave in. And that's kind of a, you know, as a pastor, you think nobody really believes that. And I've actually heard people who, like, I don't know if they literally believe the roof will fall on them, but they think, man, if I actually show up in church, something bad will happen. Like, it would be catastrophic for me to walk in a church building. Do you know why? Because you bought the adjective. Because you feel like you're not enough. Yeah, you might have a history. Maybe you made some bad decisions. Maybe you got some things in your past that you regret. But I'm just telling you, those are adjectives and you're a noun. And when you say, hey, listen, I, I, I can't walk into a church, it's because you're allowing your perception to determine your position. I can't go before God because I'm not enough. Listen, you are enough in Christ because that's who he said you are, and that's what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. He declared our value when he spread his arms and was nailed to the cross, and he said to all humanity, you're enough because I made you enough. Come on, we have been re Branded, we are not weak. Come on, somebody. I want you to say this at home. Philippians 4.13 makes this clear declaration. I can do all things. Come on, I can take the opportunity. I can step into the position. I can take the serve opportunity. I can talk to my neighbor about Christ. I can step into the career path. I can go into the classroom. Come on, I can pursue my degree. I can follow my calling. Come on, not because I feel like enough, but because he said I'm enough. I can do all things through Christ who doesn't weaken me. He strengthens me. Come on, y'all say it. I am strong. Judges chapter six, the story picks back up. So imagine this Gideon, the angel of the Lord comes. They got the battle of the brands and ultimately he buys into the brand of God's presence. That's my prayer for you is you'll allow yourself, you'll allow your redeemer to rebrand you. That if you feel weak and you feel like you're not enough, that you'll hear what God says about who you are, not about what you've done and where you've been. And Gideon, he gets up and he has such a radical encounter with God's presence that he, the Bible, and we're gonna see this actually several different times, we see Gideon build an altar, A-L-T-A-R, an altar. And this kind of foreign to our culture because we don't really build altars. What's an altar? An altar, you'll see it throughout the Old Testament. Abraham, in his spiritual journey, builds altars, You'll see throughout the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, when they cross the Red Sea, they build altars. An altar, what's an altar? If you're taking notes at home, this is a really powerful way to remember this. It says, in, it says altars, if you're taking notes, altars to God are where we celebrate the altars from God. Altars to God are where we celebrate the altars from God. The altars, A-L-T-A-R-S, those are those places those are those moments 
those are those times you can point to. Come on, some of you, it was, it, it was, at, ho- it was at home. Some of you were in the shower and you had some worship music on. Some of you were driving down the road. Some of you were at a church camp as a kid. Some of you were in a Sunday school classroom. Some of you were on the back row of a church service that you wandered in, into that you swore you'd never go to, but God met you in that moment and God altered you, A-L-T-E-R-S. God altered your marriage. Come on, God altered your destiny. Come on, God altered your heart. God altered the path that you were on. God altered the person you were, and you walked out different. You, le- you left camp different. You left the church service different. Come on, you stepped out of that shower different, and you can always look back to that moment, and it causes you to celebrate the goodness of God in the land of the living. Come on, that's what an altar is. An altar is that place or that time or that event that you celebrate where God altered you. Come on, anybody here got some altar moments? And Gideon, he celebrates and he establishes these altars. And I want you to see this. Judges chapter six, verse 24 to 27 says, and Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom. See, Gideon had such a powerful moment. He he let go of his adjective and he embraced his noun. He said, "I, I, I feel weak, but God, you said I'm strong. I feel abandoned, but God, you said you're with me and my perception has been altered. And so he built an altar to the Lord. Verse 25, that night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull, this was for a sacrifice, from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal. Baal was a false god. And cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. Let me just give you a couple of things real quick. Because again, what I want you to see is that Gideon bought into the rebrand. I'm no longer weak, I'm strong. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Joel 3.10, come on, let the weak say, I am strong. And he got up out of the wine press and he went and the first thing he did was he built an altar to the Lord. If you're taking notes at home, come on, listen to this. You gotta build public altars or you gotta build private altars before you can build public altars. Like you gotta, you gotta do something, you gotta have an encounter sometimes by, by yourself before it can ever happen out here. See, sometimes we wait for the stage moments to shine. Listen, you, you, you'll never shine on the stage if you don't shine in the dark. We need those encounters when nobody else is around. We need those moments of, of where we can just press into God's presence. Come on, we need those shower moments, those car moments. We need those quiet moments where nobody else is around. If you can point to a time where God has shown up in your private time, I'm just telling you, God is setting you up for a public time. Come on, you are, you are strong in silence, so you could be strong in public. And so what we see is that Gideon, he, first thing he does, he builds an altar to the Lord out of this private experience, this private moment. And then the description that God gives me, he says, okay, now, now that you've had this moment where you realize who you are, that you can do what I've called you to do, he says, now I want you to go out and I want you to tear down the altar built to Baal. Again, Baal was a common God worshiped in that area in that time of the world. And so basically God's people is worshiping a false God, not just worshiping Baal, but the Bible talks about this Asherah pole. Asherah pole was uh, basically an instrument that they worshiped where they worshiped fertility. And God tells Gideon, this guy who now realized his true identity, 
Come on, this cat's ripping buttons off his shirt, exposing a G in his shirt. Come on, instead of Superman's Gideon. And he goes and he tears down the altar to Baal. Because come on, that Baal can't alter you the way God can alter you. Nothing in this world can alter you the way God can alter you. And so he tears down that, he tears down the Asher pole, and he builds a second altar. If you're taking notes, come on, number two, if you're taking notes, you can't build new altars until you destroy old altars. Notice he didn't go build a new altar beside the old one. No, God said, before you build a new altar about what I'm altering in this community, I want you to tear the old one down. I'm praying for you that God will cause you to see some of the things that have been built in your life that need to be tore down. Some of the things that have been spoken over you, some of the things that have been said about you, some of the things that you've believed about yourself, some of the conclusions you came to looking in the mirror and looking at a scale and looking at your gene size, looking at your report card, looking at your net worth, looking at the struggle you're in. I'm praying that God will empower you to tear those things down because listen, they haven't altered you in the way God created you to be and God will cause you when that thing's out of the way to build a brand new altar to the Lord. Come on, somebody. And then the last part of this verse, and we'll close. And to me, as we read this, I'm so encouraged by it. Sometimes when you read the Bible and you read these guys and these girls who are known as these like, come on, faith superheroes, and you read them, you think, I I can never do that. I could never be that. And what you find is that these people are ordinary people. In fact, Gideon's story, I could have used a lot of people. When God goes to Moses, you know what Moses says? I'm not enough. And God says, yeah, you are. God goes to Gideon. Gideon says, I'm not enough. And God says, oh, yeah, you are. And God goes to Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah says, I'm not enough. And God says, oh, yeah, you are. And, and God goes to, to Matthew and God goes to disciples all over. And over and over again, you keep hearing the same thing, I'm not enough, and God keeps saying, oh, yeah, you are. And the question we have to answer is, well, who told you that? And if culture's telling you that, you're listening to the wrong people. And if you're telling yourself that, I'm just telling you, you're listening to the wrong people. What does God say about who you are? Every one of us, we need to be rebranded by our Redeemer. But the whole story of Gideon concludes with not his story, but at least what we're reading concludes with this thought. I want you just to hear this. So he gets up and he goes to do what God's told him to do. And it says this, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. You know why that's powerful? It's because he didn't stop being afraid. He just came out of hiding. What happened was he flip-flopped. Again, before he was, come on, this is so, you gotta get this. He was a hero, but he was in hiding. And he was living his adjective in hiding. But because of his encounter with the Lord, he was able to come out of hiding and go be the noun. He was able to go be the mighty hero. He was still intimidated. Come on, what I'm telling you is that whatever God alters in your life, you're, you're still gonna have a reputation. This is a fact. Some people are always gonna see you how they've always seen you. 
You're still gonna have the smudge on your record. You're still gonna have the story that people can tell about you. You can't change who you slept with. You can't change the bad marriage. Come on, there, I'm, what I'm telling you is there's some things about you that God can't and won't alter. But the thing that's most important is getting you out of hiding into your purpose, getting you out of hiding and getting you into your destiny. And you'll never do it as long as you're listening to culture. You'll only step into your purpose when you listen to Christ, rebranded. And so I'm praying for me, I'm praying for all of us. Because I can tell you there's times I feel like I'm not enough. I can't do that. That's too big for me. And I just gotta pull back and ask the question that God asked Adam and really ask the question we're asking about getting. Come on, who told you that? Because that's not what God said. It's not what he said about me. It's not what he said about you. It's not what he said about you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you're at home and you're watching this and you're struggling with feeling like you're not enough, if you feel like I'm just too weak to get past that, to get beyond that, to step into that, to do anything about that, I'm just too weak. Come on, I just wanna tell you you're listening to the wrong person. And I'm praying for you, and I'm gonna pray here over every one of you watching that you'll be able to say with confidence, I am a mighty hero and God is with me. And so if you need that, I want you just to just open up your heart as I pray. Come on, let's just ask God together to alter you that you can have an altar moment. Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for your truth. I pray that your truth would overcome and outweigh the opinion of people. I pray what you say would carry more equity in our lives than what even we say. I pray in Jesus' name that God, you would help us to tear down the things that have been built in our lives by people. And I pray, God, help us to build brand new moments that, God, right now we can celebrate that, God, you are giving us a strength and you are giving us a confidence. You are, God, reestablishing our identity in you that we are not who we've been. God, we're not what we've gone through. We're not our struggle. We're not the identity this world's given us. God, we are your children. We are your sons. We are your daughters. God, we are your creation. We've been made in your image and we've been bought by the cross of Calvary, God, and purchased for a purpose. And so, Father, I pray, God, let every person have a moment right now where they are rebranded in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. Hey, guys, man, thanks so much for tuning in today, man. Again, our hope is that God will continue to rebrand you. Make sure you come back next week and get here week three. Also, make sure you share this. Uh, again, at the bottom of your screen, wherever you're watching this, uh, copy this. Start a watch party if there's another service coming. Make sure your friends get this word so God can rebrand them too. Before we get off, I wanna make sure that every single one of you who are watching have an opportunity to get the greatest brand you'll ever get, and that's being a child of God. You know, sometimes this world will tell us that we're all God's children, and while that gives you some feels, makes you feel warm and fuzzy, it's not true. Ultimately, the Bible tells us that what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary, that's what gives us the opportunity to become children of God. John chapter one says, as many who believed on him, he gave us the right to become children of God. And so ultimately because of our sin, we're separated and there's nothing we can do to bridge the gap. But God loved us enough. He wanted us enough that he sent his son to be our savior. And if you'll put your hope in what he's done for us rather than your hope in what you could ever do for yourself, the Bible says just in that simple act of faith, we become forgiven and we become reconnected. And so if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, or man, you're backslidden, this has been a season God's been trying to get your attention. All you have to do is ask him to save you. The same way when they prayed in the Old Testament and God sent a savior 
if you'll pray, God will send you the Savior, Jesus. And so I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer, and you can pray this if you want to. Say, Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross, for taking my sin, for taking my shame, and giving me forgiveness and making me your child. I put all of my hope in you to be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, if you pray that, I want you to know, man, we are so excited with you and for you. All you have to do is text ALIVE, A-L-I-V-E, to 97000. If you want some information to help you in your spiritual journey, that's how you can access it. Hey, man, God bless you guys. We'll see you next week for week three of Rebranded.